Welcome to another week of the Main Break podcast. You're with Brian Allen and fellow sports journalists Justine McCullabeasy and Sean Hardiman. This week, we welcome Nick Kaiser. Nick is the Southwest Academy of Sports CEO, uh, and if you don't know SWAS, uh, it's all about developing the Southwest's uh, most promising young athletes. And uh, yeah, Nick was a promising young athlete himself who uh, he got discovered in the late 90s as a volleyballer, and uh, it's something we're very keen to ask him about today. Um, and Nick would go on to enjoy a, a seven-year international career that would uh, include competing at the 2000 Sydney Paralympics. And I'm sure he's got uh, a load of stories uh, to share. So, Nick, welcome. Um, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Justine and Sean. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's great to be here today. Yeah, Nick, um, I, I, it's not, I normally talk to you about the academy stuff, but I haven't really had a chance to ask you so much about your own um, volleyball career. So, uh, yeah, I went back into one of our uh, previous articles and um, and learnt that it, it, volleyball uh, wasn't something that uh, you were, you know, really involved in until your late teens. Am I right? Yeah, that's correct. Like, uh, growing up sort of pr- um, primary school and high school, I was playing every sport that was around there, but um, volleyball wasn't my number one passion. Um and then, yeah, late in my teens, um, there was an opportunity and um, I got talent ID'd to possibly do volleyball um, or at the Paralympics. So up until then, I um, hadn't been involved in disability sport at all either. So it was you know, a big learning curve in those sort of two factors. But um, I'd done it at school and I played a little bit, so it wasn't a tough transition, but there was a bit of sort of talent ID transition there. And that uh, the talent identification is something you're very much involved with in the Southwest now. But uh, who was it that identified you? I think it was in 1998. Yeah, a lady by the name of uh, Jenny Cole. So Jenny um, and I have been friends since then. Uh, Jenny is an international classifier. Up until about six months ago, she was uh, the CEO of Disability Sport Australia. So she's the ladies put countless years into not just disability sport, but specifically uh, World Power Volley um, and, you know, supporting disability sport within Australia. So Jenny and I ran into each other when I was um, working on a school's camp in at the AIS. Uh, and she was there for some professional stuff herself and then got talking um, and then she did what's uh, like a classification and then we started talking about possible options within sport, within um, Paralympic Sporting Pathway. Yeah, right. And um, you've obviously got that um, that sense now of some, you know, t- um, being in a position to sort of give a youngster a chance. Um, do, how do you reflect on that now that Jenny, um, you know, really gave you a chance to... Um, pursue a, a bit of a dream you ended up at the, the Sydney Paralympics I mean how meaningful is that to you now that you can reflect back on someone giving you a chance it's an interesting one that over the years has changed a little bit um, it's actually fortuitous timing so everything's popping up on my Facebook uh, so this week is exactly 20 years since the Sydney Paralympics so yeah. very timely so there's a few like Facebook groups and reminders and everyone's sharing old photos so but I look at it and I think um, when I was in sort of right then and even in my early 20s, I didn't 
see how much of an opportunity it was. It was just I took it a little bit more as like, oh, yeah, no, I'm good enough to do that. And I look back now and reflect, and particularly now having worked not just at SWAS here but in my other career through with junior athletes, it's really reinforcing to them that you get that opportunity, seize it with two hands and make sure that you take everything that's offered and use it to its full extent. So I probably did that almost by accident in some ways and you're sort of stumbling along. But, um, you know, if you had someone there to help you with that, that's what, I mean, that's what SWAS is. So that's why I sort of stayed within sport within my working career as well. What are some of your biggest memories from the Paralympics, Nick? As you said, it's been two decades now, which probably sounds like a long time when you say it like that. Um, yeah, was it with playing itself or was it just being a part of like opening and closing ceremonies and like um, getting to know other athletes? For, for me, um, and it's one that I often talk to my athletes about that, um, you know, once you get to those higher levels and you're representing Australia, sometimes it's doing your job. So um, we took 12 athletes to the Sydney Paralympics in volleyball and I think I played a total of seven minutes. But a couple of guys who played in my position in front of me, one of them was player of the tournament, um, and I used that to spur me on in other things. So for me, the Paralympics were understanding how to be part of that bigger sporting pathway that you know even though you're making a small contribution it's the pushing others in training and supporting them and it has to be you have to go get the drinks and you do that for your teammates and how you share that with them so the biggest recollections for me are things like walking into where we have 90,000 people in the Sydney Stadium and I remember walking around and a friend of mine I went to school with was actually playing soccer and it wasn't until he jumped on my back and was so overexcited, stopped me just staring at everything that was around. So that was the biggest one for me. Um, and then just seeing, so we usually had sort of about um, seven or 8,000 people at our games. So just seeing and being able to play in front of those many people was, was pretty fantastic as well that I'll, I'll remember, even though... It wasn't every game, but, you know, the times so I did get on. Mm-hmm. What, what position did you play, Nick? Uh, so in, in volleyball, there's a couple of different ones. So for, for people listening there, I played what's called a, a receiver or we might call it a pass hitter. So we have people that play middle blocker, that play in the, in the central. Where There's the libero, which is a different coloured shirt that people might know these days. There's the setter, who's usually the person who plays the second ball and, and gives it up to the the spikers so and then there's receivers so we would pass the ball in and then we'd hit from the left hand side so hit from the outside so usually have two of those on the court at one time and usually one or two guys on the bench so yeah what would you sort of take out of it into the next part of your career the biggest one for me was um as i said the fellow who played in front of me made player of the tournament but it was more even that fraction that I got onto the court really spurred me to put in more effort off so you know after that um, I was at ACT Academy of Sport as an athlete and I would train as much as I could to be able to be like next time I'm starting in front of uh, his name is Steve I'm starting in front of Steve I'm going to do that I'm going to put that effort in to make sure that um, you know I get more court time and I show them that I should be there. So it spurred me on that side. But the other one of just being, you know, that was 
was me. That was my third international tournament, but how massive it was. Um, and you had all the other sports people around. And as I said, you've got all these people from Australia that come and watch. And we, we met, you know, we met John Howard, who was the Prime Minister at the time, and we, we met other people. So just knowing that it's not just your little volleyball team, but so many people that are invested in it as well. So to be able to go, yep, I can show everybody that, that I put that effort in so that that next selection period or that next um, international tournament that, you know, I can get on the court and, and know that I've done everything I have before that. The conclusion of the Olympics, how did the team go overall? We um, finished eighth, um, so not as well as we would like. Um, it was more, looking back now, it was a bit of a choke on the um, sort of home soil. We, everyone got a bit tense. Um, I think 20 years later, I can admit that perhaps that's what happened, but, um, you know, you've got to take that. Sometimes that happens and it's just about, well, what do we do now and how do we get better? So, I'm ask you, you were classified as a Category A um, athlete at the Paralympics. Can you tell us a little bit about your disability and um, how the, how you sort of dealt with that throughout your life as well? Yeah, so um, different sports within the Paralympic sort of um, family have slightly different classification systems. So there's the really obvious ones, like people might have seen wheelchair basketball where you know, that people might be a paraplegic and that one's quite straightforward or you might see athletics and swimming and people are very clearly missing a limb um, and then there's usually a grading system. So the simplest way um, is to look at some of the other grading systems within volleyball. So it's ours as a, a category of, of letters, so A being the least disabled or have the least impact with their disability. B is what we would say you're missing at least one joint or movement with around one joint. So the simplest one there is if you had an amputee that was missing their hand or their foot, they're what we call a B. And if you're missing two joints or you're missing movement around that in two joints, you would be classified as C. So, you know, you might be off at the shoulder with an arm or you know, above the knee in a leg or it might be um, an athlete that uh, has cerebral palsy and has a, a quite severe restriction. So with an A, so with me here, if I put my hands up here, you'll see this um, in my right hand when I was about seven years old, I had a large gardening glove and I stuck it into a um, garden mulching machine. So I only have a radius bone and I don't have any movement around my wrist. So I also have a slightly smaller hand because it took my growth plate out. So I have what they, within the Paralympic part, they deem it's muscle loss, movement loss, um, and strength loss within the right hand. Um, but it's one of those ones that even nowadays, you know, um, every now and again I'm doing something around the house and my wife comes and wonders what I'm muttering about and it might be like I'm struggling with grip strength on my right hand, but she forgets about it because... I've learned to overcompensate in the left um, and things like because you know I have both hands and I'm wearing a jumper, it's fairly hard to notice. So I am quite fortunate that it hasn't affected me too much like within my working career. I haven't need to change anything in terms of like even my desk setup, uh, you know, here at the computer and, and stuff like that. Um, but it, I find that um, one of the ones I've looked at and learned from um, being within disability sport is I'm fortunate that I can play majority of other sports and not be impacted, but there's so many people out there that 
and you look at some of the other international federations we've learnt while at the Paralympics, their view in other countries are if you're disabled and you fall out of category, you must play disability sport. So you can't play mainstream sport. Whereas here it's like, well, I play mainstream volleyball, I play soccer here with Wolves, I can play cricket if I was good enough or had the time. You know, there's nothing that restricts me from that. Nobody's going to say, well, you've got a disability or... You know, I've got a guy I play with at the moment um, who lives in Perth, he's a lower leg amputee, and no one's saying, oh, you've got a fake leg so you can't play. It's just, yeah, okay, you fit in that team over there, good luck. So we're really fortunate in Australia that there is that type of system there, but for me it really inspires me to be able to make sure those opportunities exist. So um, I also played last year in China at World Para Beach, so um, beach volleyball championships there. And with that, normal beach volleyball is two people, whereas um, within Para Beach, it's three people. So even late, well, this time last year, we, um, myself and the other guys on the team, played on the Victorian Tour. So we played an event down at South Melbourne Beach and the guys there are just happy for us to play. So we played against pairs and everybody just understood uh, and was really accepting with that. Uh, and we had that opportunity to play as a three against pairs but still practice rather than having to find another 12, 15 people with a disability that play volleyball that we can compete against. So for me, it's more spurred me to do, you know, create a meaningful impact within disability sport, but personally hasn't affected me as much. Although these days I've got, I've got a bit of arthritis that I've got to take care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick, uh, you're relatively new to Warrnambool. I think maybe you moved here three or four years ago. Um, and can you tell us a bit about the move, how you found it, and a bit about your family? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think it was 2016 um, that we moved down here. Uh, the opportunity to run the Southwest uh, Academy of Sport. So. Um, my family at the time, I've got a couple of young kids in primary school now, but they were at an age that we thought, you know, it was perfect for, for a sea change and and the job was a real opportunity to, so I looked at that, well, I've been an athlete at, at an Australian level, um, I've coached um, Australian junior teams in volleyball and um, I worked for some national and state sporting organisations in high-performance sport. Um, and then here's a job where we get to inspire juniors that are trying to take that pathway that I took um, in their sports, and I can bring my coaching skills, my administration skills, and my life experience to be able to say these are the building blocks that can help them. So it was a nice way to look at that and go, I can create meaningful impact within sport. Um, and the other one personally is, well, with, um, with SWAS, suddenly you're dealing with, seven sport programs that we have here and I think with our individual athletes we've got about 18 sports that they do so so many different sports they've got to do so it's just such a nice challenge to be learning different sports rather than just volleyball as well um, and then I think about three years ago we bought a house here in Warrnambool and we're happy to be involved in the community although I will say it's the, the classic um, Brian you've been here longer that four years is still new new to Warrnambool so yeah yeah, that's right, mate. Um, we're pretty keen to ask you about SWOS. Um, yeah, uh, there's a fair bit going on at the moment. Can you tell us uh, what's happening? 
Yeah, so obviously um, with the South West Academy of Sport, we were affected like everybody else was um, with the lockdowns through the year. But our sporting programs continued where they could and we made adjustments. So a little bit like remote learning that the kids had with school. So whether it was moving some of our athlete education online, uh, we moved our strength and conditioning online for those periods where we couldn't get access to the gym. Um, and then we're playing catch up with a few of our sport coaching sessions that we've got here. But we're happy that a lot of our programs that we run had an element of being able to do things. So the main sport programs that SWAS run include golf, tennis, cycling, where athletes can do something themselves. We know multiple golf club and the local golf clubs have had just an abundance of people playing and being able to do that and being able to cycle has been great. We had guys doing the Australian Junior Tour, you know, virtually online. Um, we got a few articles on like Cadell and Eddie that, that did that. Um, so that was super helpful. Tennis, they can still do some one-on-one coaching so that our athletes were able to progress. Um, and then we looked at what was the biggest impact. So this year um, we've done a number of sort of athlete education. So we had um, Rachel Lynch, who's a hockey roo, and also an RUOK ambassador to help focus on that and, and get that athletes to understand it. We just completed the other week the AIS mental health, uh, mental fitness program. And we had Matt Denny, who's an Olympic discus thrower, talk the athletes through that, which was fantastic. And then we you know, kept uh, that mindfulness training um, and worked through those sessions with athletes across the year. So we knew that was just a bigger focus. So, you know, in the previous year, we had a bigger focus on sort of physical literacy and movement. Uh, and this year it was more on, hey, what's that mental approach that athletes need to be aware of and how can you still be doing stuff it's the same as, you know, if you're an athlete, you unfortunately did an ACL or you, you broke your arm or you sprained your ankle, you're, you're out for six weeks or you're out for six months and you still need to work on things. So we took that same approach of, hey, this COVID lockdown stopped you getting to the training facility, but how do you do something at home to stay engaged? Or how do you work on your stretching or your mental approach that could help when you get back into training? So... They were sort of, we tried to put those extra building blocks in uh, and we had a really good response from the athletes. Yeah, it seems like there's been a, a lot of change within um, sort of the organisation. How's it sort of changed from your experience in, um, in academies when you're sort of uh, rising up through the ranks compared to now? Um, obviously, you've got those mental health sort of programs coming through and stuff like that. Have you noticed a, a big change within academies, um, especially with SWAT? SWAT, I would say, across the... Uh, like the few years that I've been involved, we've been trying to broaden, um, I would say, um, you know, it, it's been successful for a number of years, but it's had a little bit of a one-size-fits-all approach. And we've been trying to make sure that we stay flexible so that we can help the athlete depending on what situation that, that they're in. So even for next year, we'll continue our online strength and conditioning because occasionally we get an athlete that, can't make it to the gym times that we have available for them so we have that flexibility or well, our education will stay online or, or it'll be live streamed when we do it so that those athletes who can't make that can re-watch it and have that flexibility with that so just having that technology to do that or being able to send video analysis in for coaches to to follow up with uh, is something that that we've had a real focus on and then for next year with the academy we're making a few changes so um, our individual athletes or our support program 
will go up to under 25. So if you're a senior athlete that's sort of aged out of school but still around and want to be supported, you will be supported. Um, we have, we'll have some travel funding assistance for athletes that are in a state level or a national level. So if you're an Australian athlete, you have access to travel funding now because we know that that's, that cost is a barrier, and particularly after this year with some financial strain with people within our local community to be able to provide, that's uh, a big difference for us. Um, and then even within our sporting programs, it'll be, you know, it might be a difference depending on where you're located, what you have direct access to and what you want to achieve as an athlete. So that's been the main change for us. Uh, from comparing SWAS to what I had as, as an athlete, Australian sport goes in waves and it usually comes around in a circle. Like in the mid-2000s, it was all purely about talent ID. So if you're this tall and at this arm span, you're definitely a rower or or things like that, but we know that these days it's not as simple as that, um, and there is probably the big one is even though we we're focusing it this year around Mexico through that um, sort of COVID situation, that that approach that individual takes is not just about talent anymore. It's about excuse the sound in the background. It's about um, you know how do you use that and how do you approach that. So. It's not just have I gone exactly through this pathway and I've made every team, but well, if you didn't make the under 15s team, doesn't mean that you can't refresh yourself and make it there at an older age. You know, I know countless people who didn't make a state team until they were 19 or didn't make a state team at all and went and played semi professional sport and then made an Australian team. So, um, you know, that view that, I mean, we work in pathways, but we know that it's not as always, it's never a straight line. Um, and that, you know, if it is a wobble and it's a curved spline and you fall down one side, we'll help you get back on that on that pathway. Has there been anyone, Nick, through your time at Southwest Academy of Sport that you've seen go on to progress to where they wanted to go or someone even now coming through the ranks that's given you a bit of joy to see them achieve what they've set out to do? There's quite a number um, at the moment that we've seen take that sort of big step, just growth as an individual. So not just, you know, me as my sporting success, we don't think that's the only thing that's a reflection of them. Um, you know, some of the ones at the top of the list, uh, people like um, Caitlin Sharp, um, who went to the INS Games last year and continues to do very well with her, her athletics. Um, and then some of our young cyclists, so... If you're part of the Warrnambool or the Port Ferry or the Southwest Cycling, you know the um, the guys. You see him in the standard. You see Reuben in the triathlon. You know who's only sort of 17, 18, or well, 17 last year, and he was beating all of the open age group people. You see the Eddie Worrells out there that are doing fantastic stuff um, on on the cycling track and, and in the state velodrome when he made it this year. Um, so that, they've been fantastic, or even. You know, young um, Noah Best and just his maturity that I've seen this year uh, and placing his seriousness with his golf uh, has been really great. Well, we've got a few young athletes at the moment and even with everything that's going on, that they turn up every single week uh, to continue doing the training. You know that, that that's fantastic. So it doesn't even matter where they come out in their sporting career, but you know that you've made a difference and you see their, their faces every week and you see them improving as an individual. It's been fantastic. So there's a couple of uh, runners down in Tim Boone, um, Emily Morden, who we see every week at the gym, 
young Ella Cook who with tennis. Uh, I think Ella's only sort of twelve or thirteen, and, and she's doing fantastic. I know you guys did a article on her last week, and then the young girl in Portland, Sky Treble, that just sends us information and, and keeps up to date with everything. Uh, she's a javelin thrower, so. Uh, she might be a great surprise a few people next uh, next year at the school sports and the state championships. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for your time. I mean, it's been great to catch up with you in twenty years since the Sydney Paralympics. So, um, yeah, uh, fantastic to to reflect on that a bit and obviously learn about what's happening at, at SWAS at the moment. So, yeah, we we thank you for uh, your time today and and how generously. Uh, you give your time in general to us. No worries. Thanks, guys.